the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome again to the podcast. Welcome back. How are you, Lindsay? I'm feeling pretty good. What about you? I feel good. I think uh, we just keep coming back to the Tim Burton well for our episodes. <laughs> this is it, our third Tim Burton movie. What does it say about us? I think we love Tim Burton a little bit. Or at least his early works. It's true. And this one is extra special. This was Tim Burton's first feature-length film, and it is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Man, the last two weeks I've just watched a tremendous amount of Pee Wee Herman, probably more so than I did when I was like 11 or 12. I watched the show religiously. I was a Saturday morning cartoon kid, and this was one of the shows that I watched. Um, Of course, not a cartoon, but I watched Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, I think this last week I did some Pee Wee's Playhouse. I did Big Top Pee Wee, and uh, I watched the Netflix movie that they put out in 2016, Pee-wee's Big Holiday. I got a kick out of Big Holiday. <laughs> I did too. Um, but Big Adventure is leaps and bounds beyond both of those. It is um, such a just kind of wacky, zany, all over the place adventure that hits on every single genre and is its own crazy creation. Yeah, it really is like a. I I think like just like this like amazing work of art. Yeah. You know, it just says there's so much there. And, you know, on the surface, it's certainly silly and wacky and all those things. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a sort of subversiveness to it. And there's this, uh, I think, real intelligence to it, too. If It's just, you know, you, you may not see it uh, right off. But uh, I think what Paul Rubens has done with the Pee Wee character in this movie particularly is, like, something very special. And it's funny. I, I don't think I'd revisited big adventure in a really long time and let alone gone really deep into Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman research. But he he's a very intelligent guy and I think it takes a very special character to entertain kids on one level and adults on a whole other one because it had been a second since I had seen this movie and I got it in a whole other different way. It was really cool. Well, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. We're going to try to condense things as much as we can, as we usually do, to mm-hmm. keep our episodes at a reasonable length. But um, we can't talk about Pee-wee's Big Adventure without talking about Paul Rubens, the creator of Pee-wee, the actor who you know uh, inundated himself with this character, lived with this character, uh, became this character to the public. But we'll talk about his uh, early beginnings, uh, how he got started, how the character was created. Of course, a lot of our focus will be on Pee-wee's Big Adventure, but then we'll also talk a lot about post-Pee-wee's Big Adventure because uh, the Pee-wee Herman story is very like extensive, and mm-hmm. you know he did a lot of material. I mean, he he covered a lot of ground, got a lot of mileage out of one character. Pretty pretty amazing, yeah, and still is today. So really looking forward to talking about this. And if you're a fan of Pee Wee Herman, this should be pretty fun for you. And I found in asking people, what do you know about Pee Wee Herman? Have you heard of him before? I was really surprised as someone who 
has always been a fan of him, how many people were like, yeah, did he like have a red bow tie or what What was his deal again? He did like a kid's show, just people that didn't know too much about him. So I'm even more excited to talk about Big Adventure and talk about Pee Wee. And, um, yeah, hopefully sparks some interest in some yeah. people who, uh, you know, are, are younger who did not come up on Pee Wee and, and, and maybe uh, they'll be able to experience this great movie, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Um, but after our Pee-wee talk, we'll get into our picks of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pick of the week is connected to Pee-wee's Big Adventure via the co-writer Phil Hartman, who co-starred in a movie with Sinbad, 1995's House Guest, which uh, is a really, really entertaining movie. I can't wait to hear about this one. It has been since it came out on video, I would say, since I've watched House Guest. And uh, you went with a, a favorite of mine for your pick of the week. Yes, a movie from 1992. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Maybe you're familiar with the show. Maybe you didn't know it was a movie, but it sure was. And it co-starred Paul Rubens. And my uh, teenage crush, Christy Swanson. I mean, she's pretty crushable in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty cool. And as always, we'll round things out with a Murray moment. But before we get into Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Lindsay, can you just give us a little bit of lowdown on what this adventure is about? So um, Pee-wee is an eccentric man who is a child at heart, and his one lone prized possession is his tricked-out, awesome, one-of-a-kind bicycle. And when it gets stolen one day, Pee-wee's whole world is turned upside down. And the rest of the movie is about Pee-wee's adventure to finding and tracking down his bicycle. And meeting all these crazy characters along the way. So many. So many. And not only is Pee-wee entertaining, but... The characters that he comes across are just as whacked out as he is. We'll go to our first clip from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, then we'll come back and talk about it. I cannot wait to see what clip we choose. Morning, Pee-wee. Look, Francis. Today is my birthday, and my father said I can have anything I want. Good for you and your father. So guess what I want? A new brain. No, your bike. What's so funny, Pee-wee? It's not for sale, Francis. My father says everything's negotiable, Pee-wee. I wouldn't sell my bike for all the money in the world. Not for a hundred billion million trillion dollars. Then you're crazy. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? 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 Infinity. No, I'm not. You are. No way. Knock it off. Cut it out. Oh, shut up, Pee-wee. Why don't you make me? Why don't you make me? Because I don't make monkeys. I just trade them. Pee-wee, listen to reason. Come on! I'm listening to reason. Pee-wee! That's my name. Don't wear it out. Remember the first time I saw your bike? You were riding past my house, and I came running out to tell you how much I liked it even way back then? I love that story. (laughs) You'll be sorry, Pee-wee Herman. So Pee-wee's Big Adventure came out when I was a kid, and to me, there was no such thing as Paul Rubens. I only knew Pee-wee Herman as Pee-wee Herman. Even yeah. in the movie, uh, he's billed as Pee-wee Herman in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> um, but that wasn't always the case. That is true. Yeah, um, 
man, to be able to sell a character and just not be yourself and just be just be that character with such conviction, that takes some solid follow through. And Paul Rubens did it for so many years. And originally, I mean, he had always kind of had a theater bug in him ever since high school. And I think that the formation of this character, this kind of like energetic, spastic freak of nature um, kind of started in high school with Paul Paul Rubens. And then later on, early to mid 70s, he joined uh, this L.A. based theater group called The Groundlings. And a lot of famous folks came out of there, like Phil Hartman, Lorraine Newman, who both got uh, picked up and went to SNL. It was The Groundlings was like another troupe kind of like Second City out of Chicago where Lauren Michaels would, you know, cherry pick people that would later be on Saturday Night Live. And a lot of characters got workshop, including Pee Wee Herman. And, and uh, Paul Rubens had like eight or ten characters that were solid. Um, but Pee Wee Herman was always the one that really, I think he said in, in one interview, someone asked him, you know, what was what was it like the first time that you got up as Pee Wee Herman and it failed? And he thought like for one second, he just was like, I don't think it ever happened. It was him. Like was Pee Wee Paul Rubens was Paul Rubens Pee Wee. They were just kind of, he could fall into that character. So, so quickly. He said he wasn't as good of an improver as the other people, Mm -hmm. but when he did the Pee Wee character, he was able to just respond in that character uh, anything and it would yeah. sometimes come off funny simply by his reaction to things um, instead of trying to come up with something you know some story or some mm-hmm. situation and like the idea of peewee is that he was a stand-up comic um, who could never remember a punchline and was just really bad at setting up jokes and that was paul rubens too and so this this character just kind of um, came out of a kid he knew growing up a little bit, like a, a spazzy kind of person, and then who he was as a comedian. And Pee Wee was born. And I think the suit came from one of the directors, uh, Gary Austin, um, out of the Groundlings. Um, he had borrowed the suit from him, and the bow tie, the kid's bow tie, was kind of a last-minute um, addition that, that someone gave him one time and it just kind of all came together and um, Pee Wee was born. Um, I think the name Pee Wee came from a, a miniature harmonica. The original Pee Wee was a little bit more, there's a little bit more sexual innuendo, a little bit more adult humor, but not, you know, we're not talking Eddie Murphy raw type of like adult humor. It was still adult, but not totally, you know, yeah. raunchy or anything like that. When it's interesting because the, uh, you know how you mentioned the original incarnation of Pee Wee was supposed to be this bad stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. And it was a character that he developed quite a while before Pee Wee's Big Adventure came out. And in those early Letterman performances, because he was doing Letterman like 80, 81, 82. It's like 82, yeah. Yeah, and um, I get that. I can see that first development of that character. He's like kind of nervous. He stutters a lot. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't seem like he... Uh, is confident and you get none of that in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He's like seems totally confident in what he's doing for the most part um, yeah. in the Pee Wee yeah. movies. Um, but those early sort of interviews that he did on Letterman per- or performances, I mm-hmm. should say, I-, I feel were like that early incarnation of Pee Wee. And it's interesting to go back and also if you, uh, like we were saying before, someone has strung together all those <laughs> interviews and you yeah. can see year after year how he kind of like gets 
he's kind of altered the character to what it is that you see in the feature film. Yeah. And and right before that, like 80, 81 um, was when the Groundlings really uh, they, they came up with this new alt- alternative format to the show, which was showcasing the Pee Wee Herman character. And it turned into the Pee Wee Herman show. And I mean, not the Groundlings, but they had like a specific offshoot that was the Pee Wee Herman show. And that was where he developed his character even more. And then at that point, the Pee Wee Herman show was really taking off so much to the point that it was moved to the Roxy Theater and became basically just like would sell out show after show. It was for quite a few months in a row. And I, I think I don't know how true this story is, but. Paul Rubens said that there were only a certain amount of tickets for, you know, a certain amount of seats for the Roxy show. And so there would be 20 tickets sold, but he would give out a bunch of free tickets, right? So there'd be 100 free tickets out there and only a certain amount of seats available, basically overbooking the theater. So then you'd have a line outside, thus creating a hype behind this. So for weeks and weeks and weeks, there's a hype behind this Pee Wee Herman show that you had to see. And so not only was the show killing it, but it was also creating a hype around it. So that was about 80 or that was about 81. And Paul Rubens goes to audition for, or he's up for the season six cast uh, of Saturday night live and loses out supposedly to Gilbert Gottfried, who gets that part. And so it's almost out of, spite that Paul Rubens just becomes completely determined and takes Pee Wee, takes the Pee Wee Herman show and just guns it. And it's like, I'm going to do this full force. I'm not going to appear as Paul Rubens out in public or like do interviews or anything other than in Pee Wee Herman. And I'm going to be this character. And then this Letterman stint starts and he's just on on Letterman countless times and uh, this hype just gets built around him, and the the it's not like it's just hype. Like he's funny, and there's something quirky and weird, and no one else is doing it, and just something people hadn't seen before. And he and he has said that like that was like a real um, him losing out to SNL was like the the driving force, like you said. But yeah. it weird to think that if he did get on SNL that season, because that was like the season that. Other than Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo, they kind of like cleared house after that season because yeah. it was like the forgettables. And I just wonder Wasn't if the like, greatest. Yeah, yeah, I just, you know, I just wonder like where his career would have went had he, you know, gone for that and then used up that character. And then it would just forever be this like, oh, this Pee Wee skit on SNL that they tried to do a movie of. Yeah. Probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. Know? Who knows? Like maybe, yeah, Pee Wee would have happened on the show. No one was really caring about SNL at that point. And then. Yeah, it would have been crazy if Pee Wee Herman would have never happened because he got on it. Yeah. It would have been nuts. Um, so then, I mean, he's doing the Pee Wee Herman show. This is not the Pee Wee's Playhouse yet. He's doing all of these appearances, and the writing of Pee Wee's Big Adventure begins. It's quite a few months, but he's talking about it and saying that he's got a movie in the works and um, still doing the Pee Wee Herman show. And then basically we get to Pee Wee's big adventure. Yeah. And, um, Paul Rubens was working on the, uh, Warner brothers lot at the time. And he had already written a lot of Pee Wee's big adventure. It was a little bit of a different movie. And he said that, uh, on the lot, everybody, 
got around via bicycle because, you know, you would move from mm-hmm. one lot to the next. And finally he was just like, when am I going to get my bicycle? Everybody's got a bicycle. And so he <laughs> said he showed up and they had this sort of like vintage, uh, awesome bike for him that was so cool. And he immediately said he went back into the office or trailer that he was working in and kind of just like pitched the old script idea. And that was the, uh, day that the idea was born to peewee has this his prized possession is his bike and he loses his bike and the whole movie is you know him trying to get his bike back yeah and paul rubens was writing this with phil hartman who was also a groundling and of course everybody knows who phil hartman is or was and uh michael varhall i believe is how you pronounce that um so there were some other people that um had always been along the way that it helped develop the Pee Wee Herman character, but those were the other two writers that helped um, come up with Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And I think the original idea for the story was like a retelling of Pollyanna. Pee Wee comes to town and everybody's living a sad sack life and he makes everyone's life better. And then the bike happens and it's just like, duh, of course, this, yeah. is, this is the story. It's a much better move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know he, in interviews, Paul Rubens had said that uh, a lot of the writing partners that he's had, uh, they always wanted to go for more of the snark movie to movie uh, episode to episode of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Sometimes Pee Wee's very endearing and can be very sweet, and then other times he can kind of be a little snarky. He wasn't the biggest fan of the snark all the time, but he said that the you know his writing partners, everybody always that that got the biggest laughs, so that got more and more incorporated. And I think that that comes through a little more broader in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, the snark than it does in the other films that he, he's done. Mm-hmm. The character seems a little bit sweeter and a little bit more reserved um, and not making fun of somebody or like yeah. sort of patronizing them. It's funny, Pee-wee's been described as a man-child character, but I wouldn't ever say that... You and I talked about this, Justin. He's like got the spirit and the creativeness and just like unbridled... like positivity in some ways as a child but he's very much an adult and like functions you know as an adult but um has this forever childlike spirit and also too like has been like sheltered from the darkness of the world yeah like you know seemingly uh his bike getting stolen is like the worst thing that's ever (laughs) happened to him in his life like nothing bad has ever really happened to him in his existence um, everything's been pretty fun and playful. And so I think that that is part of that character of like the sort of naive, sheltered. And I think that's one of the most brilliant things about Big Adventure is that you, it is a fantasy movie. There's there's nothing, you can't look at this movie and think, okay, now where does, P, how does Pee Wee get money to have a crazy house like he does? It's silly to try to rationalize um, a movie like this that is just built on complete fantasy. And then that's what I love about it because yeah. I, I like, um, and you know me, like I, me with comedians, it's like mm-hmm. I love a raw comedian, but at the same time, the cynicism can, can be like too much for me. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I like Pee Wee so much is because that cynicism isn't there so much. I mean, certainly some of the characters that he encounters are cynical, but he always some, somehow gets mm-hmm. them to come around his way and see like yeah. the sort of positivity in things. And as cheesy as that may sound, I think that that's like a very endearing quality for a film because especially with comedy, because I think comedy, it's like easier to go the cynics route mm-hmm. and like kind of find like go for something dark and relatable 
um, because that's easier for an audience to relate to versus something that's happy unless you're going for like a romantic comedy type movie. But as a straight comedy, I think it's kind of hard to be, you know, stay that sort of like fluffy, positive fantastical line it's crazy it's there's just this certain naive charm that comes along with Pee Wee Herman well you know if he does he does have an arch nemesis in the movie and who's who's the person that originally steals his bike who's like the bully on the block yeah and even how you know that it's it's very much like when you look at it it is you know two big kids that are two Two big kids that are in adult bodies, you know, that are going after each other. But even the way that Pee Wee handles that, it's a little snarky, but it's, but it's like. But it's almost like take <laughs> kicking your car out of the sandbox, you know, kind of thing. But it's, yes, exactly. The way he handles, and I, I think, I don't know how many times I can mention this to you, Justin, but the way that, he, the way that he handles uh, Francis in the beginning is one of the funniest things in, in the movie to me. So I think one of the big things you know, noticing with Big Adventure versus the other two Pee Wee films is number one the direction and two the music. Granted, Danny Elfman helped did the music on the the second film, but I think that his score in this is pretty amazing and and also like kind of like gets stuck in your head. And oh, yeah. uh, this was Tim Burton's feature film. Uh, Tim Burton had been working for Disney, a lot of like animated projects. He had a short called Frankenweenie that Shelley Duvall was in. Shelley Duvall was friends with Paul Rubens. Warner Brothers had already had a director that they wanted Paul Rubens to use for Pee Wee's Big Adventure. The name of the director Paul Rubens has never said, but mm -hmm. he said it was someone who had a couple films under their belt. They had had a successful film, but he didn't feel that they were right for the movie. He said he saw the short that was suggested to him that Tim Burton directed and immediately wanted Tim Burton yeah. to do the movie. Which if you've seen Frankenweenie, the first like two minutes, you're like, yes, yeah. this, this should this should happen. So yeah, it was, it was pretty much like um, uh, Tim Burton said, you know, he had never done a feature film yet and uh, was kind of plucked out of somewhat obscurity to direct a fairly lower-budgeted studio feature for Warner Brothers. And uh, a lot of the sort of zaniness that you see on screen, especially in the beginning of Pee-wee's uh, house, house and that kind of stuff, uh, a lot of that, you, you know, you've seen in other Tim Burton movies. Uh, you know, Tim Burton brought a lot of that um, sort of like, focused art direction and like trying to have interesting things going on in the background um having it not just be sort of a standard road movie yeah tim burton added so much to this like for instance like that that beginning scene like the script would just say a machine is making breakfast and all of that i mean of course the opening to this is bonkers it's not just a machine's making breakfast <laughs> and of course a lot of the claymation that you see like him, his eyeballs in the dark, and Large Marge, like, freaking out. A lot of that you've seen in other Burton <laughs> films, you know, in Beetlejuice especially. Mm -hmm. And you might notice, too, with some things, like this movie having a smaller budget, that there were corners cut or just things that were looked kind of hokey, but because of the spirit of the movie, like, it it works. The scene where you just see Pee-wee's eyes in the dark and it's animated and it, and it, looks, it looks silly. It doesn't look like it's actually yeah. someone's eyes. And then... Um, you know, Pee-wee's supposed to be out in the middle of nowhere and he just starts hearing all these animal noises and there's a flash of light and it's revealed yeah. to be all of all of these like 
animals from like Africa that right. are around him, and and there's just enough like live animals to make you not notice all of the rest of them are completely stuffed and like taxidermied animals. So there's there's some hokey moments in the movie, but it it works it works and and it and it's a way to cut corners. Yeah, you know? and 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 for me, I mean, you know me, I'm like so obsessed with like directors' first films and like their age that they were mm-hmm. when they made them, and like we've done a lot. I've, I've talked about a lot of movies on the podcast of like this was the director's feet, you know feature debut and I think this is one of I know I've said it about other movies but I do think this is one of the best feature debuts I mean Tim Burton was 26 and so crazy and and when you see how like kind of low rent some of the movie looks I mean but you can just see the ambition on the screen I mean you can see the creativity on the screen and it's to me it's like it's it's really like it like an art piece like a lot of the movie you know a story tying things together Mm -hmm. but a lot of this is just really interesting and like almost like lucid and like kind of strange but somehow he doesn't linger on it too long so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't go into like total abstract yeah yeah and there are many moments in the movie where there are dream sequences where peewee's dreaming of getting his bike back and then something nightmarish happens where the bike's taken away from him again and i think these moments in the movie really show that like spirited ingenuity, you know, of, of Tim Burton's, like the uh, where Pee Wee's driving with a guy who's uh, picked him up. It's a an, an escaped convict, and he's kind of like, you know, in and out of 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 lucid kind of dreaming, falling asleep at the wheel, and he's passing these road signs. And if you look kind of closely, like the road signs are being jerked out of the scene. It's and it and it looks it looks really cool. Yeah, but but it totally looks like they're on like a theater <laughs> set studio, yes. like you know, it's like a yeah. And even how like you know that scene ends with them going over a cliff, and it's obviously yes, it looks like it's on a soundstage, but it works. It's just very um, ingenious. The, the main thing that sells it is that Paul Rubens is just so dedicated to the peewee character like he maintains that level of of realism for that universe and all the characters that he meets along the way um everybody is game like takes him for like face value and it's just no one looks at peewee like he's a weirdo or that he's like a freak or anything like that and i think that's sort of one of the the things that keeps at least me as a viewer interested and keeps the movie you know interesting if it weren't for the conviction of all of the characters in this movie, it would flop. And if, if Pee Wee weren't so solid, it, it would not have the same impact. And all of the characters that he comes across, you know, we mentioned large Marge, who I think is, uh, Paul Rubin said that when, when he did that scene with her, that he said, man, if this movie does well, you're going to be what's remembered. And I think, I think that that's very true. Everyone remembers large Marge, yeah. Um. I already mentioned the the escape prisoner. Even even the woman, the the server that he meets and kind of like has a moment of affection. Like she's kind of, you know, she's eccentric by herself, yeah. and and her larger than life, oddly proportioned, very tall, jealous boyfriend that chases Pee Wee, and th- that guy's over the top. And then the hobo that Pee Wee meets on the train directly after that is is just yeah such a caricature that all of these people create this you know this this rich world and another scene that everyone loves too is the um of course the biker scene yeah (laughs) um everyone in that is 
so rich and so believable, but believable, but over the top believable so yeah. much that 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 is the world and you you buy how how over the top everything is in the movie. Yeah, and there is something to be said. It's like people gravitate towards someone who's so comfortable with themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you you because that's something that, you know, I think we all like want to be is like comfortable in ourselves when we're on public and not feel like anxious about being who we are and like be comfortable in your own skin. Most people are, you know, are a little more reserved. They fill things out, but Pee-wee is just himself the same as he is in his house as he is yeah. when he goes to the grocery store as he is, is if he did a business meeting or at work I mean he's like the same you know he doesn't alter his no. personality or his tone or anything for anybody and that's really hard to do and I mean probably most people don't do that in their own lives but anyway Pee-wee's big adventure was a modest hit you know it was it was a good career launch for Tim Burton um, it was certainly a gigantic career launch for Paul Rubens immediately after one of the screenings I think Warner Brothers it was on like the, the premiere I yeah, think the premiere like Warner Brothers on the spot offered first they wanted to do a cartoon and he said no no I'd you know I did this you know actual peewee show back in the day like I'd want to do a, a kid show like, like a, a live, live action. action and they uh they just said yes immediately yeah so CBS picked that up and Warner Brothers really didn't know what to make of the movie. I think that they had very few notes when the movie was coming out. And when it initially came out, there was a little bit of promotion. You know, it was like limited. But yeah. then they saw how much of a reaction the movie was getting. And then it was like, okay, let's roll roll it out a little bit more. So it was a slow start. But then it started to pick up. And it was kind of, um, you know, I, I think it came out to mixed reviews yeah the critics didn't really know what to make of Pee-wee. um if you want to see a real grouchy uh siskel and ebert episode <laughs> check out the one uh, they do on Pee-wee's big adventure uh, just like, e- oh, ebert actually said ebert actually says he didn't see the movie but but siskel is just like oh this guy's just annoying you know and he was like you're making me want to watch it actually yeah. uh or ebert says that yeah yeah but but yeah i just uh I mean, I can imagine it's, it would be a hard movie to market because you're marketing as this guy that no one knows who he is. And it wasn't, it's almost like uh, it worked for a movie like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is weird because you almost like Ferris Bueller's Day Off in a lot of ways, I feel like ripped this movie off in some ways by having <laughs> this like sort of like name character who has like a day, but whatever, I won't. Whoa, but, how have I never thought of that? Yeah. But uh <laughs> You know, because it's all based off of, like, you believing this larger-than-life figure who, like, everybody's already supposed to know exists. Um, but yeah. anyway, that's yeah. that's for, you know. But, I love um, that theory. <laughs> that John Hughes always ripping people off. John Hughes was the Quentin Tarantino of the 80s. <laughs> um, well, let's, uh, let's go to another clip from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, then we'll come back. We'll talk about the uh, latter half of Paul Rubin's career, a little bit of the, the downfall of his career, and then the resurgence of Pee-wee. Soul's my horn ready yet? Yeah, it's ready. Should be loud enough for you now. Well, where is it? Let's hear it. Wait, I want to talk to you first. You are talking to me. No, I want your undivided attention. Look, PB, this is important. Does someone want to ask you? Mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know if you'll do something. What? I want to know if you'll go someplace. 
be. Like where? The drive-in. Look, Daddy, I like you. Like? I like you! Yeah, that's the thing, I like you too. Daddy! There's a lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I don't understand. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, Daddy. A rebel. So long, Dad. So once uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse got up and running, it was kind of a hit right away. I mean, it connected with kids. Paul Rubin and the writers were saying um, they were always kind of going for what would make a six-year-old just like roll off the couch and just <laughs> yeah. like bust out laughing. Yeah. And if you haven't seen Pee-wee's Playhouse in a while, I, I, admittedly, I had not seen it since I was probably 12 and uh, I probably watched about maybe six episodes when we were preparing for this episode. But you as an adult watch six episodes of a children's show. That's kind of like impressive. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I don't know that I, I was, a, I would, I admittedly, I was a little peeweed out. You'd also spend like two weeks with Pee-wee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, um, but Pee-wee's Playhouse, uh, I believe like all five seasons are on Netflix right now. And uh, so I kind of did like a, a sampling of, of different seasons. But the gist is, you know, he's basically at his house and different characters come over. And it's very, yeah. a lot of his very stream of conscience uh, type humor wackiness certain things that happen each episode they you know they have a secret word a secret word and whenever they say it everybody you know you interact with the tv and you scream and i remember sure. doing that as a kid like whoa i like, know that's, it's the word <laughs> you know they said it you know you're yes like, um there's a little bit of education but it's not like it's not a sesame street type of like kids yeah. education or anything like that it is definitely supposed to make kids roll on the floor laughing but also be interesting enough if their parents are around they're going to be entertained on another level probably one of the wildest things about watching uh peewee's playhouse now was that everybody always says like oh we live in an age where no one has a attention span anymore and like you only want to watch 30 seconds videos and and that's true yeah. you know that's totally true but man, when you watch Pee Wee's Playhouse, it it really shifts so much. It is like that. that yeah, it's it was like so far ahead of its time because when I'm watching it now, I'm like, oh no, it keeps your attention because they don't stay on anything for too long. You know, he'll be on one yeah. thing and all of a sudden he'll just shift to now I need to like look at a pen pal for my friend in Japan and he'll sit down and like go to this thing for like two minutes and then someone will come over and so it is very much. Like made for like a short attention span, and there's a lot of crazy visual things. Like it, yeah. it'll just go completely. Like the screen will go completely green for no reason, or there if there is a reason, it'll just cut to something completely else that's you know wacky and wild. It really is like watching it as an adult. I kind of felt like a little bit like I I should do drugs and and watch Pee Wee's Playhouse that it would be like it was entertaining not on drugs I'm certain plenty of people have done drugs <laughs> yes. and watch Pee Wee's Playhouse but, like, I can't imagine I bet it is like epic on some type of hallucinogenic I'm sure like any stoners are listening to our podcast are like oh duh Dude, like, you have I just it? watched it earlier this afternoon bro um, so Pee Wee's Playhouse was a complete success um, with kids and you know parents liked it enough like my mom my mom I, I asked her if she remembered watching this and she's like oh yeah 
I loved what it was like the only show that I liked watching with you as a kid. So the show was a success, which led to um, uh, the second Pee Wee film, Big Top Pee Wee. And it was not so much of a hit, um, or at least not as much as as Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Um, So Big Top Pee Wee was just kind of, it's almost like Pee Wee had a reset. And all of a sudden he's a farmer and uh, hated by everyone in his town and a big storm hits and literally blows a circus into his backyard. And there's a love story. Pee-wee like, has a girlfriend. He's kind of where Big Adventure, he's he's kind of, he's not asexual, but he's just kind of like more eunuch-y kind of. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and Big Top Pee-wee, he's a little oversexed. Not oversexed, but he's just... A sexual being and we just yeah. weren't used he's to a little aggressive yeah he's a little yeah. aggressive um but uh fun fact um his makeout scene with valeria galino i still think it's the the longest on-screen kiss which is over th- over three minutes long and when i was revisiting that when that's that kiss was happening was like wow this is i don't remember this being this long it's yeah. kind of getting more comical the longer that it's yeah. Anyway, Big Top Pee Wee, you know, it's fine. Not not the same. To not me, the same. To me, I um, you know, I hadn't seen Big Top Pee Wee since I was a kid. I didn't like it as a kid. I remember you know, loving Big Adventure and not liking Big Top Pee Wee. And when I started doing some research, it was just like, man, everybody hates Big Top Pee Wee and it was kind of like universally panned and 20 minutes into it I was like this is this is a tough watch <laughs> um, because I feel like it really is in a lot of ways not just unfocused but I feel like the tone of Pee Wee is a lot mm-hmm. different you know and the charm and sort of the snarkiness and everything is it seems a lot more muted in that movie and there's just not a lot of humor going on it's just more of uh, just a lot of stuff and then the last 25 minutes of the movie is um just them doing like a circus yeah. performance act which is kind of an odd choice to to do but i'm glad you know i think you said this i'm glad it exists i'm glad that yes. there's you you know another uh peewee film i think um it would have benefit I'm, I'm shocked that warner brothers um didn't do the big top it actually switched over the paramount which is why danny elfman had to redo a score that was different uh i would have loved to have Man. had that be you know in the canon the score like i don't know for me big top is is a is a tough watch but there is i will say there is a a st louis connection oh i love this you know yeah. we do have a yeah. uh we do have a uh, uh, an actual small size circus that takes place maybe like a mile from where we record our podcast here, mm-hmm. and uh, it moved to St. Louis because the guy who had had the circus uh, in California was hired to do all the circus stuff, put all the production stuff on Big Top Pee Wee, and the money that he made, he was from St. Louis, the money that he made from that, he moved the uh, everything he had to St. Louis and started the small circus here that has been going strong for many many years Circus and Flora Circus Flora yeah. yeah I think that's kind of cool that that's we awesome. have a tie in and <laughs> that's, uh I had no, I, uh, I had no idea about that Yeah and actually uh Bo Shoulders who has made our logo it's uh, I got this story from him because his wife has worked for Circus Flora for many years Thanks Bo that's yeah. a pretty cool story um, so even though Big Top wasn't the biggest success, Pee-wee's Playhouse was still going on. Big Top Pee-wee was 88, and the show 
uh, ran new seasons until the fall of 1990. Around the third season of Pee-wee's Playhouse, Paul Rubens had agreed to do two more two more seasons with CBS. And so like right around 1990, that was coming to an end. CBS wanted him to do a sixth season and he was burnt out basically on Pee-wee. And I mean, at this point, what he'd been doing, he was not Paul Rubens. He had been- For over a decade, yeah, really. Yeah. He was Pee-wee Herman. We're talking po- a decade of like <laughs> any interview he ever did, any public appearance, like he never- was not Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, I mean that's crazy and uh, amazing dedication. But I cannot imagine what that would do to your psyche as a person. Maybe it didn't affect him. I don't know, but I I can't imagine it didn't have some effect. So he was burned out. So the show was still going on, and they were airing repeats, and it kind of gone in syndication. And Paul Rubens decided to take a a break, traveled a little bit around the country, and trying to figure out what was going to be his next move. After you've done this character for so long, like, who are you? What are what what do you want to do? And he finds himself at his parents' house in Sarasota, Florida. This is, we're talking like mid-1991 at this point. Uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse is still on television, airing repeats. And um, we come upon the time that um, basically destroyed Pee-wee Herman's career at that point yeah really unfortunate incident where he was and i think this is the incident that everyone knows about it i get really mad talking about it but um he he was caught in a porno theater masturbating and arrested for it just take a second to think about the reporter that comes across the name paul rubens on that that blotter when she goes into work that night and you have you you have a moment where you're like hmm as a journalist this is a story and I can run with this and I wonder if it really dawned on her that she was about to destroy a man's career for masturbating something that everyone does he did it it was a victimless crime no no one else was involved and uh not 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 only that just destroy <laughs> someone's career for just so you could get us a, a story a story yeah i mean i i understand yes there is a story there paul rubens was arrested for indecent exposure or i don't know if it was indecent exposure but it was uh public indecency whatever but there's just a part of me that's like i don't know the porno house exists what do you think people are doing in there and I don't know. It it just it, it it conjured up all of these like bad jokes and just like I, I don't know. It it made Pee Wee Herman into or the media at that time. And I hate saying the term the media did something. But it but it was like a media but frenzy. It was. Yeah, it was like so controversial that a yeah children's you know TV show star and they uh, a lot of the reports you know would just say was caught masturbating in public as if he was like in the middle of the street in front of a bunch like of kids. Like on a playground or yeah, something. Like they yeah, they would sort of like omit the fact that he was in the porn house. Yeah. You know, it really, it ended Pee Wee Herman's career. And I think even more like shocking than his, you know, quote unquote crime was his mugshot. People were really yeah. shocked at his mugshot, which was the exact opposite of what people had, you know, become used to as this children's show you know host clean cut childlike 
guy and he you know he's got long hair and glasses and just looks grimy and yeah, i don't know not only that no one had seen him out of character yeah. in over a decade <laughs> and now like the, this picture is like the circulating you know across big shocker the he's an actor yeah <laughs> peewee herman is not who he is um and while you know he was getting a raw deal you know kind of dealt to him he did have a lot of friends coming to his side and and defending him uh you know like Cindy Lauper, Jacques Gabor, like he a lot of big name celebrities were coming to his defense and on top of people you know being in the streets and yeah Pee-wee fans didn't turn on him no like. and it's kind of crazy because I, it, there was some like poll that I don't know if it was CBS or like some poll that went out that was just um anonymously like back when they did like polls by phone you know that the majority of people that were polled were like yeah I don't really see a problem with it and it was pretty much like people didn't have a problem with it but the the way that the media blew it up was just insane I think later that year he went on the MTV the VMAs the video music awards um as Wee Herman and made a joke something like hey has anybody heard any good jokes lately like, okay, poking fun at what happened. Yeah, because all the late night talk shows that used to have him on were now like, he was like their opening monologue punchline. Yeah, and just such a cheap shot. But it didn't kill Paul Rubin's career. Um, he most certainly did have a 90s comeback uh, with actually Tim Burton, um, but starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, uh, Batman Returns, uh, he did the Nightmare before Christmas, Mystery Men, a yeah, little Mystery bit later, Man. Dunstan checks in, yeah, there was a There was a Western called Masked and Anonymous mm-hmm. that he uh, had a bit part in. And then a lot later, uh, Blow, there are a lot of people who really appreciated his role in that movie too. So it didn't kill his career by any means. And Pee Wee Herman's, the character, has certainly had a resurgence since then. Um, and we're kind of omitting a lot of things that, that Paul Rubens did, like bit parts. Like he, yeah, he was in a fair amount of things. The man didn't disappear. Two decades go by and with everything, you know, we all grow fond of, of nostalgia and Pee Wee's mm-hmm. Big Adventure had gained just the enormous, enormous following that it, that it has today. And then uh, Netflix put out, uh, an original Pee Wee movie called Pee Wee's big holiday that came out in 2016 mm-hmm. and uh you know it was a fairly decent budget movie uh co-written by paul rust who also mm-hmm. has his own uh netflix show called love that i really appreciate oh yeah that's right i really liked big holiday i was charmed by it it took me it, it felt like they were trying to recapture the brilliance of big adventure it, it took me a second to get kind of back in the in the peewee saddle but I don't know. I found that movie to be really charming, and there were plenty of points that I I laughed laughed out loud. Yeah, it was it was kind of like they were following, trying to follow in the mm-hmm. same path of of Big Adventure. You know, not always hitting the mark. I but I thought that for you know trying to re- recreate something based off of a character that no one had seen in like two decades did a pretty decent job. I did not dislike it. I'd watch it again. You know. It is really crazy, too, that that character can still withstand and you you make a movie, you know, that much later and it still is is really decent. And the the probably oddest thing about it is um, if you've recently seen The Irishman, they did a hell of a lot better job 
um, making Pee Wee Herman not look 65 in Pee Wee's uh, big holiday than they did with all the digital technology that they had to make uh, De Niro and gang look younger in The Irishman. Because um, I, I, you know, he he looks a little different and he is heavily makeuped. Yeah. But you don't, I mean, you know, he's 65 in Pee Wee's big holiday and he's still supposed to be playing this sort of like childlike character. Yeah. It is pretty ingenious too that. The, the character of Pee Wee Herman has always had a lot of makeup on, like not like obviously. Yeah, and makeup, they did, but and they said, did, and they there was some digital touch up, but sure, you know, and it's easier I think by doing. I'm, I'm I love the Irishman. I'm I'm, sure. I'm poking yes. a little fun, but like it's easier to do digital touch up with someone like who's already wearing a ton of makeup who's supposed to look kind of goofy already. But it is really cool that it's something they probably weren't even thinking of that having a guy that that is wearing makeup and rouge and lipstick and you know all of these things that make him such a caricature would work to their advantage when Paul Rubens is much older. He pulls it off really well. Uh, which brings us to uh now um it's the 35th anniversary of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Paul Rubens is doing a cross-country tour. He's touring with the film. Did not make a stop in St. Louis, which is shocking to me because yeah. there's plenty of venues here that, you know, but some we are we do get skipped over and things go straight to Chicago. All the time. And, uh, you know, it wasn't without trying that we were going to get tickets, but that thing sold out. I'm talking super, super fast. <laughs> yeah. When I looked, there were only single seats up in the nosebleeds. And if we're going to drive all the way to Chicago to hear Paul Rubens talk and watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Not for the not for the nosebleeds for no, that no, price. No, no, we wanted, you know. But I am super happy to know that he it, it can still pull that many people, that that yeah. many people want to see him. And, I mean, that, that says something about someone's, like, long-lasting career yeah. and his performance. I think... Paul Rubens is such an amazing actor. Really, I think underrated. Yeah, yeah. And if you uh if you are one of the lucky people that uh is getting to see this uh screening and and hear Paul Rubens, please message us, let us know yeah. uh, how it was cuz you know, we're super bummed. We wish we could see it, but um maybe it'll be such a huge success that they'll do a a second round and and add more cities, you know. Who knows. Oh yeah, Paul Rubens, if you happen to hear this, there's plenty of venues. We'd love to have you here in St. Yeah. Louis. Well, let's uh, let's stop there on our Pee Wee talk. We'll go into our picks of the week. Um, like I said, mine was uh, House Guest with Phil Hartman, beloved Phil Hartman, and Sinbad. And yours was... Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The original movie. The original movie, yes. Uh, what can you tell me about Buffy the Vampire Slayer? When there's a movie that takes the high school experience and adds a completely unnatural, almost anomalous aspect to the story, chances are I'm going to be a fan. Most of the time these movies have some kind of comic element, so making an unreal event believable in a familiar setting is essential, and high school in general like, kind of sucks, so make fun of it. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a movie designed to empower young women and put a twist on horror movies. In some ways, high school is a horror movie, but one built on humiliation, cruelty, isolation, and power. Like, who has it and who doesn't? No matter how much of a little gem Joss Whedon's Buffy may be, I feel like the title is going to forever evoke a snarky response. At least that's always been my experience whenever I've uttered the name Buffy. 
Fran Kazooie was the director of this 1992 film and also helped Whedon develop Buffy even more and then went on to help him produce the television series of the same name. Um, If you don't know, Buffy Summers is a Southern California Valley Girl cheerleader type, and one day, a seemingly creepy old man, who we come to understand is her guide, trainer, overseer, who's known as her watcher of sorts, um, comes to her to explain she is the chosen one. She's the only person who can stop the vampires from taking over her town, and presumably the world. What follows is Buffy discovering her true calling, realizing she's been this one-of-a-kind woman her entire life, then learning how to battle and beat up some vampires until the ultimate vamp of them all, the Master, is taken out. Of course, there's a fair amount of teenage rebellion and Heather's Whedon-style dialogue sprinkled all throughout this script. As a fan of horror movies, Whedon has always said that Buffy was born out of seeing blonde girl after blonde girl slain in horror movies. So Buffy is intended to be, you know, that blonde girl who walks down a dark alley and gets to fight back. Christy Swanson, who plays Buffy, nails this title role. She was the the coolest, the girl you wanted to be or the girl you wanted to be with. You see the strength beneath her vapid veneer. The latter disappears fairly soon into the film, too. Buffy's been coasting by, that is, until she starts paying attention to the world around her. On top of a pretty decent gymnast-inspired fight scenes, it kind of looks like Swanson does a lot of them. I'm not really sure, but it looks like it. Um, There's spot-on high school satire, worthwhile character development, a pretty hip soundtrack for the time, a handful of great energetic montages, which I love, and overall, it's a pretty enjoyable horror comedy. Dear Sweet Departed, Luke Perry plays the damsel in distress role and also half sidekick to Buffy. Rutger Hauer, also R.I.P. buddy, um, is the head vamp, the master. And while he does struggle a little bit with a lisp with those fangs in, he doles out a fairly creepy performance. Donald Sutherland fits strangely well in with this cast um, as Buffy's teacher, her watcher. Um, There's a baby-faced David Arquette who gets vamped early on, and his scene where he's floating outside Luke Perry's window still kind of bothers me. A very, very, uh, you know, pre-Oscar performance by Hilary Swank. Um, as Buffy's dim-witted friend, she pops up in this. There's also a Blink and You Miss It Ricky Lake pop-in, as well as a Ben Affleck spotting. And But one of my faves, I've talked about her before, Candy Clark from The Blob, episode 40. She plays Buffy's mom, and she's the complete opposite of the, if you're a fan of the show, she's the opposite of Buffy's mom in the show. But Candy Clark nails this role, as always. And of course, as this is a Pee Wee Herman episode, no one can forget Paul Rubin's part in this movie. He's so stellar as the master's lead minion vampire. And why it's particularly awesome was, like we said before, Buffy um, was the first movie he did after his arrest in 91. And this was the first role that was directly offered to him. After his career was unfairly torn to shreds, it was Buffy that pulled him from the wreckage. And as if to kind of make light of the entire affair, the production asked if he could keep that appearance of like when he was arrested because they wanted him to look as far away from Pee-wee as possible. Aside from the obvious differences, the movie still plays pretty well as a precursor to the television show. As I said before, I'm a fan of the show, but this isn't obviously about the television show. However, I think it is super important to talk about some obvious tone differences and problems Whedon had, um, you know, with the 
film as opposed to the TV show. Like one, Joss Whedon was strictly on set in an advisory role. He sold the Buffy script to Sand Dollar, which was Dolly Parton's production company. And, you know, there were good intentions behind it, but he lost some creative control with this script. Of course, the man can't write anything without a twinge of humor. Buffy wouldn't be Buffy without it. But Whedon never intended for the film to be a straight-up horror comedy. It had a much darker tone originally, and the studio just felt like audiences would not get down with that. They felt it just wouldn't play well. They also cut out or altered a lot of Whedon-style jokes because they felt that they were just kind of too abstract. But this is a vibe that is certainly uh, was resurrected for the series. And kind of lastly, I don't know too much about this, but I do know that there were some creative differences between Donald Sutherland and Joss Whedon. Like Joss Whedon did not appreciate how Donald Sutherland was playing this role. And I guess there were some pretty fierce disagreements. So obviously, when you go into this movie, if you know the series but don't know the movie, know that there are going to be some obvious tone differences between the two. But Buffy was always intended to be a role model, the kind of person that others could look up to. She wasn't perfect, but she's a hero and a normal person at the same time. Although the TV show had, you know, time to go a lot deeper, I think we get a great Cliff Notes version of Buffy in the movie, how being a hero and trying to live a normal life isn't exactly an easy combo. However the original script was changed, this film made its own rules for vampires, and in a genre that's been done to death, it's pretty impressive, actually. So remember, this is a horror-light teen comedy. Don't go into this looking for blood and gore. This theatrically released version of the Buffster was intended to be very light. There are some clunkier moments in the movie, but this is not supposed to be a big ol' action movie. I think if anything is lacking in the film, it's made up for by how much heart and humor comes through on screen. And I mean, just take another look at Paul Rubin's death scene and just try not to laugh or like find, find plenty of moments in this movie that totally work. Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is such a fun movie. And uh, I love uh, Paul Rubin's character <laughs> and his death scene. His death scene's great. When he loses his arm is great. There's just, yeah, Paul Rubin's is, is awesome in this movie. And it is it is really just like totally innocent, fun movie. But there yeah. is a little bit of darkness to it. But it, yeah, great, great teen uh, horror comedy. Yeah, and it came along at a time where the uh, vampire genre was on like a downslope so yeah. it, was, it was sort of in between it was like during the lull moment was, of vampire movies it was some fresh blood you might say what uh-huh i would really love to hear about house guest which is completely different from buffy the vampire slayer yeah <laughs> yes house guest though a comedy so much different than Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's a very simple story, actually, one that was kind of done to death by the mid-90s, uh, the sort of fish-out-of-water mix-up story. But um, it, its real strength lies on the shoulders of its stars, Sinbad and Phil Hartman. Um, Phil Hartman, uh, dearly departed, great cast member of Saturday Night Live, always doing what he does best, playing the straight man. Sinbad really does shine in this movie. If you were around in the 90s or watched comedies in the 90s, uh, Sinbad was kind of huge in the mid-90s. Um, started out on television with Different World, uh, started getting small comedic roles, 
until eventually getting his own show in about 1995. Uh, he was like a top build actor for you know several comedies in the mid 90s. Um, I think House Guest is probably one of the best. He was orphaned when he was younger, and now he's and he always dreamed of being rich and a millionaire. But now he's middle aged, and that never quite happened for him. But he's sort of like a street smart kind of always, always looking for that quick rich deal or quick rich gimmick. But um, he's in he's in it deep with the mob for about fifty grand. So they're chasing him down, and he sees Phil Hartman picking up a friend that he says he he overhears saying, "Oh, he hasn't seen him in twenty five years. He doesn't even remember what if he what he looks like because they haven't seen each other and their kids." So he finds his way you know, finds a perfect opportunity to hustle his way into this sort of affluent family, straight laced family. And that's where the real fish out of water story begins. This is a very much a, a movie that you've seen time and time again. The, this, this story is very paint by numbers, but the, like, again, Sinbad and Phil Hartman play off each other really great. There's a lot of uh, really like comedic setups. And then also too, it, there, I feel like there's a lot of real charming moments. Uh, you know, it's the same, like, again, the same story you've seen many times where these two characters uh, are totally clashing and then they eventually change each other lives for the better and realize things about themselves that they hadn't before and, uh, you know, has, like, your pitch-perfect sort of Hollywood ending. But, man, Sinbad really sells this movie. I mean, he's a very energetic and comedic actor, and uh, I think he just plays a really great with Phil Hartman. And this is what I would consider like perfect Sunday afternoon fare. If you're, you know, chilling out and it's especially if it's cold out on a Sunday afternoon, pop on house guests. Unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere at the moment, but I think you can still find rent it on like Amazon Prime. I end up uh, finding a DVD at like V-Stock, I think for like $8 or something like that used. I'm looking back on some of these images, like it's all kind of coming back to me. But the uh, tagline that just popped out to me was, he came, he ate, he stayed. <laughs> I don't know why that's like funny to me, but there's something really charming about Sinbad and he just uh, sells anything comedic so easily. Yeah, th this movie, this is a fun one. Yeah, I always thought Sinbad sort of had like a... Uh he has like good comic timing and he had that he kind of did like the street smart uh thing that Eddie Murphy did but like without all of you know without any kind of rawness like he was like like a sort of a clean Eddie Murphy sometimes yeah very family friendly so those are our picks of the week house guest and buffy the vampire slayer we kept it uh in the comedy house yeah, uh, sure for did. this episode well, let's keep moving here's your murray moment <laughs> Because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun.
So I'd been hanging on to this week off Saturday Night Live related short film until I had a pretty good reason. And Pee Wee's Paul Rubin seemed like the best excuse. So back in episode 22, which was Batman, the Murray moment was about the time Billy spent playing with the Grays Harper loggers during the summer of 78. Although Billy did actually play with the baseball team, SNL capitalized on Billy and the entire cast's summer off from the show. Things We Did Last Summer was a short film which aired during the third season of SNL in 78. It was an hour long with commercials, replacement for an episode. And unlike Live from Mardi Gras, which was our Murray moment back in episode 21, these vignettes weren't typical SNL skits. There weren't any recurring SNL characters or anything like that. This was an exceptionally dry humor, mockumentary, dramatization, or exaggeration of what the cast got up to while on break from the show. And it was directed by Gary Weiss, the guy who directed uh, the subject of our episode 28 Murray moment, another mockumentary short film put out the same year, The Ruddles, All You Need Is Cash. Don't you love how all these Murray moments sometimes intertwine? We've done like almost 50 of them now. They're about, of course they're going to intertwine. Okay, I digress. In Billy's Things We Did Last Summer vignette, After completing his first full season of SNL, he decides to quit comedy and fully commit to baseball. While his integration into the Grace Harbor Loggers is documented, we're shown how he's constantly bombarded with bad jokes at every turn, from teammates to anyone else he comes across. All jokes are usually followed by, you can use that one for the show. From the onset, uh, Billy finds it nearly impossible to fake any type of laughter. Um, As this segment goes on, he proves to be an amazing baseball player, but in the end, he decides to go back to comedy because, as he says in in the bit, Unlike all of you guys and most of the people in this town, I have another gift, and that is what is at least some semblance of a sense of humor. So it is with this is when he decides to go back to comedy. What are the other setups for the cast members? Well, Gilda Radner's tired of having fans show up to her apartment, so she starts charging people for tours. Garrett Morris gets back into modeling for lawn jockey sculptures. I'm just going to leave that one. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi are playing Blues Brothers shows. Lorraine Newman goes on vacation to Bali and ends up like in a bad horror movie. And there's a missing Jane Curtin vignette I've never been able to track down. Now... How on earth is this related to Paul Rubens or Pee Wee Herman? If you follow these Murray moments, you know that I love, love, love small Billy roles. Any actor, really. So when a baby-faced Paul Rubens shows up in Lorraine Newman's summer vacation horror story in this mockumentary, I think it deserves some recognition. So Lorraine sees him and thinks it's her old friend, also named Paul. He gives her the cold shoulder. It's clearly Paul Rubens. But as her story is quickly turning into a nightmare, she's clearly having these horrific visions that are starting. Paul turns into a Nazi that just starts laughing at her by the end of the segment. It sounds kind of wacky, but I guess you just have to see the whole uh, the whole episode. As we said earlier in the podcast, Paul Rubens auditioned for the season six cast of SNL and when the show was being completely retooled. And as we said then, like, I wonder how, you know, how this would have affected Paul Rubin's career had he been on SNL. You know, he was friends with Lorraine Newman from The Groundlings he and, and Phil Hartman, who was later in the show. It just really makes you wonder what would have happened, you know, to his career had he gotten on SNL. 
I digress again. Things we did last summer, like some describe as unfunny, but it's a totally different style than what SNL viewers were used to. Personally, I love it. Seek it out if you can, either on DVD, but I know you can also find it out there another way. Um, if, if Billy and the original SNL cast members aren't enough, let a before he was totally famous Paul Rubens pop in be another because it's 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 pretty worth it. Yeah, I was hoping that there was going to be some sort of tie-in with SNL with Paul Rubens. He did host, uh, but it was it was not during the time that Bill Murray was on SNL. Yeah, strange. I feel like they would get along in some ways. Yeah, I I've tried to find more crossover there is a little bit that's just uh hard to mine out some stories unless you can call someone directly yeah <laughs> but yeah i could totally see them getting along well thank you for that murray moment of course as always well, do we have any uh final thoughts on Wee's big adventure before we wrap up this episode yeah. i uh yeah what was your final th- i know i have one somewhere in somewhere in my notes here I think the only thing I really uh, wanted to make mention of uh, us being both pet lovers is that it seems Pee Wee really, you know, in his movies and his show, pets seem to be like a pretty important part of his character and his makeup, uh, especially in Big Top Pee Wee. You know, it's all about the animals. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, and I kind of like that, that he incorporates animals into mm-hmm. his movies, but not in, you know, they're sort not in like a super cheesy way no that totally says something but you know in big adventure in the the famous scene where there's the pet store that's on fire and he's taking all the animals out like one by one one of those um oh wait is it yes it is one of those dogs is the the poodle is who we've talked about from the burbs oh darla wow darla the dog makes another appearance in one of our movies crazy um, but the um, just give a little slow clap real quick, yeah, just for Darla. Fun Got it, mad love for that dog. Um, where it's so funny that Pee Wee keeps passing up the snakes, you know, it's like the last creature that he wants to take out. Paul Rubens was actually not a fan of snakes, so when you see him and he has that disgusted look every time that he's passing them, um, but he does, you know, reluctantly take all the snakes out. Um, he did that because Tim Burton said, you know, we'll figure out a way. They're not going to be real snakes. It's going to be fine. And then the day came to shoot that that scene. And uh, Tim Burton came to his trailer and had this look on his face like. Ugh. And Paul Rubens was like, they, they're real. They got to be real, don't they? And it's it's such a uh, and it's <laughs> also to like just editing wise. I think this movie, uh, it's one of my favorite cuts is where. uh it's the cops. Uh, he, you know, uh, it's uh, Pee Wee's passed out because the snakes. Yeah. Um, and and this cop's like this. You know, he's a hero. And then immediately uh, cuts to um the footage on the Warner Brothers lot of him like riding his bike across like one of like their Godzilla sets. And then it cuts yeah. to like security, like and they're watching the like, you know, surveillance footage with them. That is really good. Um, oh, a little a little fun fact too that I found out. Um. You know, when um, I, I guess it's a couple little fun facts regarding the the biker scene. One, when Pee Wee uh, has all the bikers approval and takes off on on one of their motorcycles and he kind of loses control and blasts through the 
sign that's on alongside of the road, you see off to the left, it looks like Pee-wee's throne from the motorcycle. I've thought that my entire life that, and it's, it's funny, you know, it looks like his body just sort of <laughs> flies forward after he goes through the sign. And it looks kind of bad, like poorly done. And it, that that's what makes it like extra funny. But if you look closer, that is actually just a piece of the sign. It's not Paul Rubens flying off of the motorcycle. And even though, uh, listening to the commentary, um, both Tim Burton mm-hmm. and and Paul Rubens confirming it was just a bit of the sign that yeah. popped off. <laughs> I rewound it and watched it like three times, and like, it still looks like a body like sure? flops across the sure? screen far away <laughs> to me, and it just cracks me up every yeah, time. Yeah, every time. But um, what a, what a happy accident that was, huh? Totally, totally. Um, one other quick little thing. I always wondered where did Paul Rubens come up with that dance, like the, the infamous tequila dance. So he had actually been doing that for quite a few years before that. So by the time that they got around to filming that, he already had that dance down. That was that was his thing. That's him on his tiptoes and those crazy shoes. All of that is Paul Rubens. Um, but the um, what is with the you know one one hand pointing to your crotch, the other pointing to your butt? Like what is that? Well. Upon further investigation, that stems from, I'm going to get a little third grade humor here, that stems from a dirty joke that Paul Rubens' dad used to tell, and Paul Rubens couldn't remember the punchline exactly, but it had something to do with putting one finger in your mouth and one finger in your butt and then switching back and forth. But he can't remember the punchline, so... In the words of Pee Wee Herman, I love that story. Wrecked him. <laughs> Damn near killed him. <laughs> oh, anyway, so that's uh, that's your last little tidbit there from uh, the biker scene. Also, if you don't know, Elvira, Elvira's Cassandra in that scene. Peterson, yes. Who uh, I believe is like a pretty tight with Pee Wee. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good friends. Well, that. Uh, ends another episode of don't push pause we hope you've enjoyed our discussions on peewee and peewee's big adventure uh next i've really loved going back and reviewing peewee if you guys should all go back watch this movie and just dive deep into peewee herman it's pretty fun and i know like i texted you and i was like oh i'm peeweed out and (laughs) you were like geez don't bring me down we're getting ready to record the podcast i was like, like I'm I don't. Like I don't mean I'm like, up right I was like, now. I, yeah, you're like, <laughs> you're like, no, man, I can't get enough of Pee Wee. And then so I was like, no, I'm ready to talk about it. I just, I don't know that I can watch any. I, I will, you know, I watched a lot of Pee Wee Herman for two weeks. Yeah. And um, I I can get kind of dark sometimes in my normal life. Yeah. So his ridiculous, naive positivity was like just kind of really refreshing. Yeah. I loved it. And some of it I felt bad because Mary's not into, uh, Mary, my wife, is not into Pee Wee. And so oh, really? there was a lot of hours of just like, oh, man, like, you're like watching it again. You know, <laughs> I was like, I was like, no, it's a different thing. But yeah, it was a lot of Pee Wee. Um, Pretty so funny. Thank you for for bearing with Mary. Yes. On those many hours of Pee Wee. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. Pee Wee's Big Adventure, such a great movie. Um, Never gets old. Classic. Well, next episode, 
Wow. This is our 50th episode, which, you know, there's a ton of podcasts and some people are in like episode 600 or whatever. But when we started this, the idea of like getting to episode 50 just seemed like crazy, you know. I still remember all the episodes. I just figured we end up hating each other and get into a big fight, like somewhere around, you know, the, the double digits, and then this whole we thing would end. We cut all those episodes out. Man, we're here, and I love it. Yeah. 50th episode. So um, what did we uh, decide on? You know, it was, it was tough because we wanted to cook up something that was like kind of a fun big movie, but also something maybe that isn't totally something that everybody's talked about in you know, we started talking about, well, we went and saw a movie together and then we came out and I don't know why we started talking about James Cameron and then we're like, oh, we haven't done a James Cameron movie for the podcast. And then uh, we're like, oh, it's the 50th episode. And Maybe we should do a big director yeah, or something. Yeah, and then uh, we didn't want to do, that's how we talk all the time yeah. when we're off, when we're uh. off mic <laughs> uh, to each other. And uh, we landed on James Cameron, The Abyss, because it's a movie that we both uh, really enjoyed, mm-hmm. but it's one that's not you know, usually the top movie that people talk about when you're talking about James Cameron. And we thought it would be a fun movie to tackle because it's one that we both hadn't seen in a little while. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a very involved movie. There's a lot to discuss with that one. So yes. next episode, our 50th episode, we'll be talking about James Cameron, The Abyss. I kind of can't wait. I, yeah. I used to know that movie forwards and backwards as, as a younger human, but um, I certainly do love it. Yeah. Well, that would be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you love your underwater movies. I love my underwater movies. I do movies. too. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling our, our picks of the week are going to be like all underwater adventure. Man. I hope so. Yeah. There's you know what it's going to be. There's something. I love underwater. Th- I, it, I know us. I mean, it's the world you don't even, you don't, you don't know what's out there. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of uh, what the abyss uh, yeah. is about. We'll get there. Let's we'll not, get there. Let's I'm not, we're not going to get there. Simmer down. Take it easy. Simmer down. Take it easy. Okay. Well, uh, if you uh, haven't already, please follow us on our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Don't Push Pause Podcast. Uh, If you want to check out old episodes, check out our merch, uh, check out information, you can find us at Don'tPushPausePodcast.com. And if you want to reach us directly, you can always contact us via email at don't push pause podcast at gmail.com until next time i'm justin johnson and i'm lindsey reaper thanks so much for listening thank you guys